0: Take your copy of God's Word, would you please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Going to Philippians chapter 2 once again as we continue this trek through this wonderful letter to the Philippians, and we know from our look at last week's passage in Philippians chapter 2 in verse 13 that it is for God's good pleasure that we serve him. We serve God for his good purposes and for his glory. And in fact, it is for our good that we serve him when we do. Even even when as we serve him, it looks like things aren't going so well because as we obey God, we look around at the world we live in sometimes and we think, What might happen if I obey God in this way? It may not go well for me. And yet, we must know, if we're students of the Bible, if we're students of God's Word, we must know. And you'll be convinced of this if you'll read the Bible for yourself and search for the wisdom of God and ask for His wisdom. You'll find in God's Word that it is good for you that you live for God's glory. So when it comes to daily Christian living, what will that look like? What will it look like to live for God's good purposes and for his glory? Well, we've been seeing that here in Philippians 2. And Paul has been showing us that living for God's glory means pursuing unity in the church. We were introduced to that idea very early in chapter 2. That living for God's good purposes being accomplished in us and through us as his people and as his church means pursuing unity in the church. Unity among your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we learn that that begins with seeking to grow in humility, first before God and then before our brothers and sisters in Christ, obediently seeking the good of others first, over pursuing your own desires. And Paul pointed out, he pointed us to our model for humility. He pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only humbled himself as God the Son, Who came to earth to also become a man, but he obeyed God the Father, going to the cross, being crucified for sinners in obedience to the Father, accomplishing the Father's good purposes. You see what I mean? When we obey God, it's for our good. Jesus obeyed God the Father, and that was for our good. And then we heard Paul wisely encourage the Philippian believers about their faithfulness, their obedience. In verses 12 and 13, which we discussed last week, in verse 12 he praises their obedience, encouraging them for living to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also saw the challenge, that he he challenges them that they need to be working out their own salvation. And by that, Paul means that Christians have a responsibility to work out, that is, to live out their faith in Christ. And we talked last week about the fact that this is not working for your salvation. No one can do that. We can't do anything to earn salvation. Paul was not saying good works would earn anyone a spot in heaven, nor does going to church or any other good thing make you a Christian, like sleeping in the doghouse won't make you a dog. No good thing that we do even out of obedience to God, brings salvation, only the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him and in Him alone. But the believer who is working out their own salvation is the follower of Christ, one who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who who being saved by God's grace is living out their faith, living out, taking obedient steps to obey, living out their faith in Christ Obeying God's word. And just as we heard Paul's challenge last week, believers are not only to be living this way when others are watching, when in fact it's probably a little bit easier to do when your brothers and sisters in Christ are watching to see if you're obeying. Not only then, but especially when no one is watching. Or so we think. Because God is aware and we ought to long to please our Heavenly Father seeking to please Him in all that we do, living out our faith, working out our own salvation by living out what we say we believe and who we follow. We also saw that Paul didn't stop with the admonition to believers to live out their faith in Christ. He also gives an encouragement, a word of encouragement in verse 13 when he shows that those who trust in Christ are not alone. Now, that is a word of encouragement, and we need to hear that again and again. God does not leave us alone to live out our faith in obedience to God's Word. We do our part. We work out. We talked about this last week. This is our part. We work out. We live out our faith. We live out our faith, and we do our part while at the same time we understand as we take steps of faith, that God is working in. God is working in those who trust in Christ. God does his part, working in, giving the will and the ability for the believer to obey. So don't ever say to God's word, I can't do that. Yes, you can. God is working in you to give you the will to obey and the ability to obey. And that's good news. That's wonderful news. Because we need all the help we can get. Especially for this next challenge that we're going to see this morning. What's the next challenge? It's in verses 14 through 16. And it's this. This is very important. I have two words for you. Two words that your mother probably spoke to you at some point two words we can use to sum up this passage but i'm not going to stop with two words all right i'll just start introducing the idea with two words did your mom ever tell you to stop complaining <laughs> we're going to read in verses 14 through 16 this morning we're going to look at these three verses as we read but there's really one verse we're going to look at especially this morning Verse 14, and then, Lord willing, we'll come back to verses 15 and 16 and dig a little deeper next week. But I want you to follow along in God's Word as we look at verses 14 through 16, where the message, where the the thing that jumps off the page to us right away is stop complaining. Oh, we need to hear this. This is so important for us as those who say, I follow Christ, I believe in Jesus, I trust God, I know that God is in control. We need to hear this. And if you don't, I do. (laughs) Look at verses 14 through 16, Philippians 2, as I read from the English Standard Version. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom... You shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And what we discover when we arrive at verse 14, the implication here is that we can actually allow hindrances in our lives that keep us from working out our own salvation, that keep us from living out our faith as God desires we live out. This is where you really are to work out your own salvation. This is where you really live out your faith. If your faith is in Christ, then you have what you need to do the will of God. And God is at work To will and to do for his good pleasure, says verse verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We ought to never forget that. When we open our lips to complain about something, we ought to stop and be arrested in our steps and and, in what we're getting ready to say, and say, wait a minute. Is it possible that God is using this? To will and to work in me for his good purposes and his good pleasure? Paul is warning against one of the most common hindrances to what I believe is one of the most common hindrances to effectively living out our faith. It is something we so easily let slide. Our willingness to complain. And right behind the sin of complaining which Paul mentions next, is the sin of disputing or arguing. Because they often go together. In fact, if you really think about this, and I, and I ask you to think carefully about this, if you really think about it, grumbling or complaining Says more about you than it does about your circumstances. And I say that as one who is convicted by that statement. I'm convicted when I complain after thinking about things like this statement. Philip Graham Ryken shares, Our own complaints are not caused by our outward circumstances. Rather, they reveal the inward condition of our hearts. It's convicting to think that we think complaining is a little thing. The disputing. That grumbling and disputing, complaining and arguing, to think that we think those things are little things, it's convicting, and it should be convicting. It ought to get our attention as we back up and think, "What what does it look like to live for God's glory, to help, to be a part of what God is doing as He promises to work through us? to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his good purposes. What does it look like? This is what it looks like, brothers and sisters in Christ. We learn to stop complaining. So how do we deal with this problem? So that we might keep growing in our faith. We might keep growing in our fellowship with God and with one another, working out our own salvation, living out our faith, seeking unity through humility. With Christ as our model. How? I want you to consider Paul's instruction to believers here, which leads us first to remember. I'm going to show you two things this morning that I want you to hang on to as you think about this challenge to stop grumbling and disputing or complaining and arguing. Consider Paul's instruction to believers here, which leads us first to remember that to learn to stop complaining, put others first. We've been here already, haven't we? This is is a reminder we need, though. And we've seen it, and it ties well in with this challenge to learn to stop complaining. Remember this put others first. Verses 15 and 16 help us understand the importance of putting others first. And we will discuss that, Lord willing, next week in, in more detail. But we can see it there in verses 15 and 16. But I want you to note that in the original language, the word which is translated in most of our Bibles as grumbling here, it conveyed the idea of a bad attitude expressed in the form of grumbling. Now, when you stop and think about this, Paul is challenging believers to not do something. It's possible that they were doing this and he was aware of it. He was trying to help them. And he was trying to encourage them and strengthen them in this area of their faith or lack thereof because grumbling and disputing says more about us than it does about our circumstances so were these believers grumbling about God were they complaining about something that they thought God had done or were they complaining to God because of their difficult circumstances or or were they complaining about each other to one another or maybe they were complaining to Paul about each other. Thankfully, Paul doesn't get into the specifics about what they were complaining or arguing about because it really doesn't matter. He does make it clear that they're not to do it. And to help us take this sin seriously because we are so prone to overlook this in our lives, to write this off We need to see that it really doesn't matter what we're grumbling about or arguing over. At the root of it all, we're really expressing. And it will help us to understand this. It will help us to take this personally. At the root of it all, we're really expressing our discontent with what God is doing in our lives. We may even be looking at others saying, Why, God, can't I have what they have? Why can't you swoop down and and take me out of this situation that they don't have to deal with? Why can't I be like them? Why can't I have it easier like that person, God? You know I deserve it, we think. Says James 4.1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What usually is going on when we're complaining and arguing is that we're discontent with what's happening. And we think something is happening to us. We're discontent with what's happening in our lives. Possibly even jealous of others. And we're forgetting to consider what Paul challenges believers to do back in verses 2-4 through where he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's why I say, remember to put others first, and doing that will help you deal with complaining in your life. That's why I say this is not new news, is it? This isn't new territory for us. But we need this reminder, don't we? So once again, we're reminded that to be growing in likeness, we need to be growing in self-forgetfulness, growing in humility, learning to consider the needs of others as greater than our own. We must learn. And here's where we work out our own salvation. Here's where we live out our faith. We must learn to trust God and put others first. There's another thing I want you to see here. We can also see that to fight the temptation to sin by grumbling and arguing, we need to be on guard all the time. We need to be on guard all the time. We need to learn to put others first and we need to learn to be on guard all the time against this temptation. Note that Paul says in verse 14, do some things without grumbling or dispute can't we just put some there we cannot paul did not god did not inspire paul to put some things do all things without grumbling or disputing so i say implied is all the time All things, all the time. Not some things, all things, everything. Wait, so we can't complain about the weather? That is our favorite thing to complain about, right? Well, let's see. Who created the universe? Who orders our steps? Who orders our days? Who orders the weather? Not the weatherman, obviously. Because you know what it's going to be like 10 days from now? Neither do I, and neither do they. You can look at that little app on your phone where it says it's going to rain 10 days from now, but you never know. <laughs> Why? God's in control of that. We need, to, we need to grapple with that when we start complaining about the heat or the cold or whatever happens in between. Not some things, all things, everything. Everything. There's no room allowed in the life of the believer, the, get it, the believer in Jesus Christ, the one who trusts in God. There's no room in the life of the one who say, I trust God, to complain about the weather or anything else. You know what God's Word calls us to do? And we could equate this complaint with, with worry. You know what God's Word calls us to do? the the word reminds us not to worry but to pray don't don't worry don't fret don't complain but take your groaning to god how important is this maybe to answer that question we should think about how easy it is for us to justify grumbling and arguing we so easily overlook this grumbling or complaining and arguing and disputing with others is over differences of, we say, opinion is a kind of sin that we get so used to that we don't even notice it anymore. Why is it so easy for us to complain about our children or our spouses or our neighbors or our coworkers or our bosses, our church? Why is it so easy for us to complain? Why is it so easy for us to get into disagreements, to get into arguments, to get into disputes? It's probably because we each have an opinion. And for every opinion, there's a differing opinion. And we don't get our way, and we're afraid that no one knows how we feel about an issue or what we think, or we think no one cares, even if they do know what we think. And so we think we must make our opinion known. I must let them know how I feel about this. And we accept what God calls grumbling and disputing as nothing more than speaking our minds. Aren't we supposed to be truthful, we say? Aren't I supposed to speak the truth? And even though some of us are less vocal than others about our opinions, we all seem to have our way of making them known. And those opinions often come out in the form of a complaint. And whether it's under our breath on the way out the door after church to one of our closest friends, or maybe it's in the car on the way home to your spouse, oh boy, we have our ways of making our complaints known, don't we? Satan, of course, is delighted at this. He is delighted. He would love for us to think that complaining is just a harmless little thing. And that it's not a sin at all. After all, we're told we all have rights. Satan loves to remind us that you have rights. You have the right to be happy, so we're told, when God's Word says you have the right to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. You have the right not to be happy, says God's word. You have the right to trust in God, to put your hope in Him and in Him alone. But we think, what's the big deal with complaining? And what about arguing? Well, we're not arguing. We're, we're just sharing our differences of opinion. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I suppose the answer to that would be no just as long as our differences of opinion are offered in a spirit of humility which if they were we may not likely share as many differences of opinion. And what about arguing? What about complaining? What about disputing? We so easily excuse those things It's just... Speaking my mind or helping other people understand. But God's word says, be on guard. We gotta be on guard against this all the time. It's interesting that arguing usually begins when two people have complained. And those two people have differing opinions, and each think their opinion can't possibly be wrong. so why the big deal over complaining and arguing can't I have an opinion and don't I have the right to defend it that is what we are tempted to think and yet God's word goes against the grain of our human nature in this we must be on guard against the temptation to grumble and dispute and we must be on guard all the time again Quoting Philip Graham Reichen, he says, In Exodus 15, the Israelites camped by the springs of Elam for several weeks, lingering under the palm trees and taking long drinks of cool water. Then it was time to move on. They were on a spiritual journey, a pilgrimage that reveals the pattern of Christian life. The spiritual geography of Israel's exodus from Egypt can be mapped onto the experience of our souls. Although there are times of refreshing, usually they do not last for long. And so it is time to head back into the desert, which is a place of testing and spiritual growth. The Israelites headed deeper into the wilderness. Soon they were tired and hungry, and once again they started to complain. Whining was Israel's besetting sin. It started when Moses first went to Pharaoh and people complained that he was making their job harder instead of easier. They grumbled at the Red Sea where they accused Moses of bringing them out into the desert to die. The grumbling continued more or less for 40 years as they became a nation of malcontents. Really, the Israelites had nothing to complain about. They were not running out of food, but were confusing what they wanted with what they needed. This is often the source of our discontent, thinking that our greeds are really our needs. The Israelites also exaggerated the advantages of their former situation. Remember the good old days, they said, looking back with longing on their time in Egypt. They imagined themselves bellying up to Pharaoh's buffet, Yet it is doubtful that, as slaves, they were ever treated so lavishly. Israel's attitude is a warning against the great sin of complaining. Although they complained to Moses, they were really grumbling against God. By saying that it would have been better for God to let them die back in Egypt, they were really saying that they wished they had never been saved. We need to be honest about the fact that all of our dissatisfaction is discontent with God. Usually we take out our frustrations on someone else, but God knows that when we grumble, we are finding fault with Him. A complaining spirit indicates a problem in our relationship with God. The irony, of course, is that God always gives us exactly what we need. For the Israelites, this meant manna in the wilderness. And for us, it means the true bread of life, Jesus Christ. I wonder who in God's presence would complain to him if we really saw God face to face we would be on our face before him in worship and the complaints would be gone what we're seeing here in Philippians 2 is that grumbling and disputing or complaining and arguing is a big deal it is a big deal to God it is a big deal for the Christian home it is a big deal for God's church is a big deal for our witness to the world. This is a subtle but serious sin that will stunt the growth of our spiritual lives and hinder our witness to the world as individual believers and as a church collectively. As we're going to see in the passage before us, as we continue with verses 15 and 16, next time, we're going to be told that complaining and arguing is a very big deal. We're going to see why it's such a big deal. It's not just about us, it's not just about ourselves. It never is. These verses show us why it's so important that as a church and as followers of Christ, we seek to rid our lives of grumbling and disputing, learning to think of others first and to be on guard against this sin all the time. But now we have this reminder before us, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And I want you to prepare yourself as I prepare myself, as we prepare together We've got to prepare our hearts and to think about what Jesus Christ accomplished for us, the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And he obeyed the Father. He endured the suffering of the cross. He endured the wrath of God the Father poured out on him as undeserving as, his, as he was without complaint. And he is at work in all of his people enabling us from within to say no to the sin of grumbling and disputing so that we might honor him, so that we might follow the Lord Jesus Christ's example, so that we might be bright lights. We'll see that next time, bright lights in this world where people are watching and they need to see Christ in us.